not certain of this, but I wonder if sometime when the choir's singing that, he might just split the eastern sky and just come on back. Growing up in my family, <clears throat> Christmas Eve was always the big day for celebration. So my uh, mother's sister's family and my mother's brother's family and our family would gather together at my parents' home and uh, we would go to a Christmas Eve service and then there was always this legendary Christmas dinner meal on Christmas Eve and then uh, we would get to finally have that big gift exchange then quickly off to bed so we could prepare for the long-awaited Christmas morning. But as uh, we grew up and kids came along and my nephews came along, mom had to shift dinner a little bit because we couldn't fit all of that into one night. So we celebrate the dinner on the night before Christmas Eve. And in our family, we call that Christmas Adam. Since Adam came before Eve, Christmas Adam must come before Christmas Eve. So we have Christmas Adam dinner is what we all look forward to. But there is one legendary Christmas Eve in our family that stands out in my mind as the longest Christmas Eve ever. And it's when my brother and I were younger, my cousin Madeline, who's here, she was a, a baby at the time, so she was not as anxious as we were to get to the conclusion of the night, the exchange of the gifts. And so my mother and her brother decided to prepare the most incredible meal that they had ever made. Now that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Unless you're eight or nine or ten, and you're thinking, can we please open the presents? Let me tell you, it was such an incredible meal, it took all day and I have no clue what they were making but I know it just went on and I would have taken ham sandwiches and potato chips just get me to the gifts in fact we probably drove our parents crazy my brother and me as we just you know can we please open can we please open no 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 finally somebody gave in and it was such a strong memory in my mind it seared as to the gift I received and it was my handheld electronic Donkey Kong game that I played until finally we could open the presents. I'm not sure at that age if I even enjoyed the food we ate. But um, as a kid, waiting for Christmas takes forever. Are some of you out there, some of you kids, are you just, I'm sure you feel like it takes forever. But as an adult, it just flies by. I don't know why it just picks up such a quick pace as an adult. Well, last week, we talked about Christmas as a season of waiting. But today, we are going to talk in terms of Christmas as a season of hope and included in all of the waiting for the Messiah all of those hundreds and thousands of years in Israel was a remnant who never lost hope that God would fulfill his promise and that one day he would send the Messiah and these people lived in obedience to God every day fully expecting it could be this very day that the Messiah would come so I want to talk this morning about a couple who never lost hope, who were faithful to patiently wait for the Messiah in obedience to the Lord. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to pick up the story in verse 5, and I'll read through, verses 13, through verse 13. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. 
Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God, in the appointed order of the division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your uh, wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. God begins his rescue mission into the world by giving Zacharias and Elizabeth a son who will serve as a forerunner for the coming Messiah. The message today is when life seems hopeless, we can have confidence to hope in God because he hears, he cares, and he is in control. So how do we demonstrate our hope in God? Well, I think the passage points out that we hope by remaining faithful, by trusting God, and by giving praise to Him. So we're going to look a little closer at the story and the proposition of hoping by God, uh, hoping in God by remaining faithful. So first, we have to put ourselves in the context of Luke 1, of the audience, of the people that are there experiencing this. Israel had been waiting on God's promised Messiah, and God had gone silent. He had sent no prophet into Israel. He had not spoken into Israel uh, for years. After 400 years of silence, imagine that, 400 years. In fact, it was about 700 years before he had done anything extravagant in the nation of Israel. It's after 400 years, God visits Israel and sends a prophet to prepare the way. Now, Luke is careful to make sure we know when this is happening. He says it's in the days when uh, Herod was ruling over Judea. That's um, essentially the land of the Jews. That's what Judea referred to in this Roman period. And this was a pretty broad frame of time because Herod was king of Judea for 40 to 45 years. So it was sometime within that whole period there. And there was this man named Zacharias who was a, a prophet, I mean a priest. And most of your versions probably say Zechariah. And you're thinking, are we talking about the same guy here? And we are. Just a little bit different spelling, but same person, same story. And Zacharias is a priest who is married to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth comes from the line of Aaron. So that means she's the son of a priest. And because of how it works in the, the uh, Jewish uh, lineage there, Zacharias was the son of a priest. And they were also had grandfathers who were priests. And great-grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers. That's the line that they came through. This is the type of family that we're talking about here. And Luke tells us that Zacharias comes from the division of Abijah. There were 24 uh, divisions within the priesthood. These are based essentially like um, family groups. It traces all the way back to 1 Chronicles. But the priesthood was divided into 24 groups. And uh, Luke wanted us to know that Zacharias came from the, this group or the division of Abijah. Priests, as you know, were set apart to live a holy life, to live in an upright way so that they could serve, the God, uh, serve God in an honorable way. Well, evidently, Zacharias fit the bill. I mean, he, 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 more than that, Luke tells us that both Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous 
in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. These two are cream of the crop, top-notch folks, that you couldn't bring an accusation against them. And evidently they did this not in a self-righteous way. This wasn't just on the surface like you imagine the Pharisees to be, who were blameless. Now this went straight to the core. These were honorable folks who were blameless before the Lord, not just before people who were watching them. And they woke up each day faithful to fulfill their duties, both as followers of God, but also as members of the priesthood. Now, this was not a hot time for following God. If you wanted to be a this was not the golden days of the priesthood. Because 400 years and no prophet. I mean, it's, it's, it was probably drudgery. Not only that, we know what's kind of happening in uh, Israel at this time. It's just kind of shifting back and forth between one nation to another. There's not really any kind of uh, Israel as we imagine it to be. But they're faithful to do what God has called them to do, even though they're still waiting on God in silence. And if you're wondering how that was working out for them, I mean, you're living obedience, that's an honorable thing. How's that working out for them? Verse 7, but they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. These were upright, honorable people. They did what was right before the Lord. People probably recognized those are just good folks. But they knew what it was like to suffer disappointment in a real significant way. Now, for a woman to be barren is a dramatic thing. But in this era, it was just total disgrace. There was no solidarity movement for women who struggled to conceive children. In fact, they, they often would connect it with maybe sin in their life. So perhaps you deserve to be without a child because of this. But Luke is careful to make sure we know, not with Elizabeth. She lived in an upright way. This was not punishment for her. But she's not only barren. Elizabeth and Zacharias are also old. That means that they're beyond the age of having children. So kind of the hope had passed by. Now, in their, their era, there wasn't a lot of uh, resources to go to to help. But even if they did, they were beyond that point in their life. It was also, I think this whole thing is used to illustrate the impossibility of this story in human terms. There is something divine that's occurring. So remember how Zacharias was one of the division of Abijah? Well, we step into the story right when Abijah, that division, is called into service in the temple. And so Zacharias would have been there, and um, it, as is custom, they um, cast lots or drew straws to determine who would be the one to serve the temple this day, to go in and burn the incense that's supposed to be done there in the inner court. And uh, this would be kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Because they only served two weeks out of the year and it just shifted between all the different priests that were in each division. So all of a sudden, lots are cast, Zacharias draws the good straw or whatever, and uh, he's going before the Lord. And you have to imagine he is going with a heart of worship and in total repentance. And it's interesting to me that that is when God decides to insert himself into this life. Occasionally you'll hear stories... Of folks, and maybe you do, a story of whenever of, of, of seeing an angel. And uh, Zacharias sees an angel. Now, a lot of times when you hear people talk about that, you know, our, our idea of what an angel is like 
especially like those little chubby cherubs or something like that. That's just so off. That's not what the angel's like. I mean, they're described in the scriptures as, you know, either, either as a host, a heavenly host, or as an army. And a lot of times people say they see an angel and they're so comforted by it. But did you notice what happened to Zacharias? It's the same thing that happens to everybody when they see an angel in the New Testament. He's gripped with fear. That's what happens to him. He is scared out of his mind. That's why I have a hard time with that whole thing of seeing an angel because are you scared? Because if you're not scared, I'm not sure you saw an angel. So talk about a life-altering encounter. Zacharias' life has just taken a dramatic shift because of this divine visitation there in the inner court. But let's back up for a second. Zacharias and Elizabeth have faithfully served God many years, but they have this hole in their lives. And they can see it every single day. Even still, they continued to hope in God. We demonstrate our hope in God by remaining faithful. Faithful in service. Faithful in attitude. Faithful in heart. Well, have you ever had a time in your life where you have felt a need or have this hole in your heart and you seem like you're crying out to God but He seems quiet? Or he seems inactive, maybe even silent in the midst of your need. Maybe you're there right now. Let me tell you, if you've never experienced that, unfortunately, you will. Because that's part of the Christian life. Some of you will experience it several times. Because there are those moments in your life, and you ought to be prepared for this, where you will start asking yourself, why am I doing this? What good is this for me? Why am I still going to church, sitting in the pew here? Why am I still reading the scriptures? Why am I still singing in the choir? Why do I still show up to serve as an usher or play in the orchestra? Why do I do these things? What, is, what am I getting out of this? Am I doing this out of fear? Am I just here because of out, of out of guilt? Because I feel like I'm praying and nobody's listening. Unfortunately, we all experience moments in our lives when we are striving to live the faithful life. And the thought crosses our mind, why? Is there anything really to this whole Christian life thing? Well, if you have ever experienced that, the good news is the Christmas story speaks specifically to that issue. In fact, the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah directly responds to those questions. Some of you feel like you've not received reward or blessing because of living an honorable life. You feel like you've just run into trouble. And you're on the verge of kind of throwing in the towel or jumping ship, walking away, checking out, whatever it might be. Maybe it's in your professional life. You think, you know, what's wrong with just taking a little off the top? I mean, no, everybody else does it. They get away with it. And I mean, if, I even, if somebody knows, I mean, it doesn't hurt anybody. I'm just so sick of doing the right thing. Or maybe it's in your family life. You think, you know, I, I'm just so tired of being faithful. I feel like other people just, I, I've just walked into disappointment because of living a faithful life in my family. I just want out. Or maybe it's in friendships. Maybe it's in school. And you think, you know, other people cheat. They get away with it. What's wrong with that? Whatever it might be. And you're like, why am I living this life? Is there a, a way out for me? And you're just led right up to that temptation and you feel all alone you feel left alone and it's led you to this point well beloved God knows God sees God hears God cares 
and he has not forgotten you. It is worth holding on and remaining faithful. That's the story of Christmas. I'm sure that there were days that Zacharias and Elizabeth thought, let's just throw the towel in. I'm sure they had that temptation. Because here they were living the faithful life and they felt like they'd just been let down. But they continued to demonstrate hope by remaining faithful. They also hoped by trusting God. So Zechariah is in the inner court. All of a sudden, there's an angel. Now you can imagine, no wonder he's scared. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden it just jumps out. And he's scared. And Zechariah is an upright man. So what did he have to be afraid of? But imagine if that were you, you know. What if it was me? Zechariah is a good guy. But he's gripped with fear. And then the angel speaks. Verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. That's standard words from an angel to a person. For your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. You catch that? Elizabeth and Zechariah had evidently been praying for a child. They knew that burden. And probably when their friends were having children, they were praying for a child. And when their friends' children grew up, they were praying for a child. When their friends were empty nesters, they were praying for a child. Until they eventually got to the point, probably, where it was like, that's not even a possibility for me. Elizabeth and Zechariah experienced that. And the angel that scared Zechariah says, your petition has been heard. I don't know about you, but sometimes that's about all I need to hear from God. I don't even need him to say, I'll answer it. I just need him to say, yes, I hear you. Because sometimes I pray and it bounces off the ceilings, I feel like. I feel like I cry out into the dark and nobody's on the receiving line. But the angel says to Zechariah, the Lord has heard your prayer. And Elizabeth is going to have a son, and you're going to name the son John. And then the angel uh, Gabriel describes what John's birth will mean. Verse 14, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. It sounds like Jesus' birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him. And the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed for a child. God answered their prayer by giving them abundantly more than they could ever ask for or imagine. Not just a child, you're getting a prophet. And God has been silent for 400 years, but he is going to speak. Can you imagine the thrill in his soul? And he's going to come as a forerunner. Well, you might be confused about that, but not Zacharias. He knew what Malachi had said. That there would be a forerunner before the Messiah came. Who would come in the power and the spirit of Elijah. And it's happening. It's happening. What you've been waiting for is happening. And he's going to come and he's going to be set apart for a specific mission. So there are certain things he's going to abstain from. And then he's going to turn the hearts of the people back to the Lord. You know why? Because they had abandoned him. Because of the silence. And he's going to warm their hearts before Jesus steps in. So how do you think Zacharias responds to this amazing declaration from Gabriel, the angel of the Lord? Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, 
how will I know this is for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in the proper time. Zechariah says, I think you might be talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> I don't think this is a possibility for me and Elizabeth. I don't know if you know, I'm old and she's, uh, <clears throat> how do I say, advanced in years. That's kind of what he says. And he says, you know, <clears throat> can you send me a sign? I mean, is this a hoax? Is this some kind of scam? I mean, are there cameras, you know? I imagine that's what he's thinking. Maybe not cameras, but he's thinking, what, what's going on? Can you give me a sign so I know I can believe this? And Gabriel offers a real gracious rebuke to him. He says, I know who you are. I know this is unlikely in human terms. But um, <clears throat> I'm an angel of the Lord. And on the day that your division is serving in the temple and your lot's drawn, you show up here and I appear beside the altar of the incense. And uh, I'm not sure what kind of sign you're looking for. But God's speaking. And if God sent me here right now, then I think he is able to do the impossible in your life. Daryl Bach has said, sometimes underestimating God is as dangerous as rebelling against him. I think that's the sin of the church. Underestimating God is as dangerous as rebelling against him. Then Gabriel says these things, they'll be fulfilled in their proper time. Well, I don't know about you, but that phrase proper time, you kind of want to be like, hold up a second. You mean God's had a date circled on the calendar that he's been aiming for? Because I feel like he just kind of got stalled somewhere along the way. Something distracted him. You mean he's been planning that we would have to wait this long? Maybe you're thinking the same thing in your own life. God's planning that we have to wait this long? How bad does he want it to get? I mentioned last week that uh, I'm always in a hurry. Well, when you're in a hurry, <clears throat> you fail to recognize that God is sovereign over all things, even time. We demonstrate our hope by trusting God, even when it means we hope while we wait. One of the traditions that we have in our house <clears throat> for Christmas is uh, the chocolate advent calendar. Kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, what better way is there to celebrate the coming of Christmas Day than to have chocolate every day? My kids rush to it because they think, I could have chocolate for breakfast during Advent. You know, they love it. Except for Amelia. <clears throat> Evidently, I messed up. She doesn't like cream in the middle of her chocolate. So she would rather have just the solid milk chocolate in the Advent calendar. So she has her own Advent calendar of sorts. It's until next year when Daddy gets it right, you know. But... In the case of Advent, we have a date on the calendar. We know we're headed towards the 25th of December. But the people of Israel, they didn't have a date circled on their calendar. They didn't know when God was going to show up. They didn't know when God was going to send the Messiah. <clears throat> well, I think the way we apply this scripture to our lives is to ask the question, are we prepared for the Lord? John was coming to prepare the hearts of the people for the Lord. That was his mission, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Are you prepared for the Lord? Well, let me just suggest to you, even in this season, as we head towards Christmas, to place Christ at the center of our celebration, you have to be intentional to put margin there. 
So maybe over the next two weeks, what is it that you can do to prepare for the Christmas celebration? Perhaps if you haven't picked up a devotional, you can just pick up one for the next two weeks. An Advent devotional, maybe a reading guide for going through Scripture, reading that Christmas story. So by the time Christmas is here, you're ready to greet the holiday, the celebration of Jesus coming. Maybe it's carving out time for prayer. That Christmas tree will go down eventually. So maybe wake up early and just sit by the lights of the tree in prayer. Maybe it's for confession. You need to clean out your heart as you prepare for the coming king. He's coming. He has come. And so prepare your hearts as a dwelling place for the king of kings. Let every heart prepare him room. We sing it. We should practice it. So we demonstrate our hope in God by remaining faithful and trusting God, but also by giving praise to him. So Zechariah is simply going into the inner court to burn incense. It's a real simple act, but he's in there for a long time, longer than normal. So what's happening outside the inner court? Verse 21, the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. It was generally expected that when the priest came out of that inner court that he would speak a blessing. You know, I've been with God. So then he would proclaim a blessing, uh, maybe a blessing out of the scriptures towards the people. But he didn't speak. You know, and the people were like, okay, come on. Where is it? Cat got your tongue. And then they realize, oh man, something's happened in there. He's seen a vision. And then Zacharias finishes up his duties. He goes home. Elizabeth gets pregnant. She places herself in seclusion. We don't really know why. But maybe she's just creating margin. Because this is something she has waited for. And now it's coming. And so uh, then she uh, is grateful. She demonstrates gratitude to God for taking away the shame that she felt. So Elizabeth offers a word of praise directed to God for taking away her disgrace that weighed so heavily on her heart. Well, you and I are able to demonstrate our hope in God as we direct any praise and all glory to Him. Whatever you, pray, whatever you hope in is what you're going to praise, right? That's why we praise God, because we hope in Him. If you hope in the stock market, that's where you're going to place all your attention and your praise. If you hope in a political hero, that's what you're going to put your praise and glory there. But if you hope in God, you put your praise towards him. But don't miss this. The whole story we've just read is a precursor, right? This is the precursor to the greatest story ever told. It's another birth announcement. Verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. That is ultimately what we hope in, that God has sent his son. Zacharias and Elizabeth's dilemma is ours. Do we continue to hope in God or do we give up? I know you each have plenty of reasons to decide to just throw the towel in, to give up. I don't know your circumstances, but I know how life goes. 
And I imagine that you're facing pressure just to jump ship, to stop believing, to stop serving, to stop giving. Sometimes life happens in a way that causes us to ask, why am I still living for the Lord? Why don't I just do what other people do? Well, in every generation, there is a remnant of Christians that decide whether um, or not they will remain faithful to God in spite of this feeling that your hope in God is not, uh, 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 that your hope in God is misplaced. The story of Zacharias and Elizabeth, the story of Christmas ultimately, is a reminder that your hope in God is not misplaced. Even though it seems that God is silent, that does not mean he is still. It does not mean he's uninterested. It does not mean that he's not listening. In fact, God reminds us that God pays attention. Christmas reminds us that God pays attention and is moved by those who continue to hope in him. By remaining faithful, by trusting God, and by giving him the praise and glory that's due his name. So if you're here today as a child of God and you're running low on hope, I want to remind you that God sees you right now. He knows what you're going through, and he hears your petitions. We know our prayers go up before him like incense. It's a sweet-smelling aroma. He has not abandoned you, although it may feel like it. He is there, and he is committed to completing the good work that he began in you. So don't give up. You hold on. And let me practically tell you how to do that. I was thinking about this. How do I do that? How do I turn doubt into hope? I think it's by counting blessings. When you can all of it, rather than focusing on what you don't have, recognize what God has done, and it'll turn your doubts into hopes. And if you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus, let me assure you, God wants nothing more than to have you as his child. That's what Christmas is all about. He sent his son on a rescue mission for you. He sent his son to the cross so that you could have forgiveness. That's the message of Christmas, a message of hope. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Our Heavenly Father, what joy it is for us to recognize what you have done. God, you didn't leave us on our own. You sent us Jesus so we can continue to hope in you. I pray for each person here. I pray for those who need to make a decision that right now they wouldn't let this moment pass without doing so. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hope God's working in your heart, and if he is, and you need to make a decision, maybe to join the church, follow in baptism, maybe it's to place your trust in Jesus. Some of you may just be a recommitment of some sort. Then this is the moment for you. We're gonna have invitation. I'll be waiting down front, some of the staff members, but as our choir stands and sings, I'm gonna invite you to stand and respond.
so glad you're here, and I hope that you will not give up on hope. Uh, this 